Let's stand and continue to worship. God, we thank you that we are your sons and daughters. We give this time to you. Before he spoke creation, the God of heaven knew our names. And he formed in his reflection, we are his glory on display. And his heart is good. He is always kind. With the cross he proves, he is on my side. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. Though we stumble, he will not let us fall. We are the Lord's, and he will never forsake his own. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. His love he lavished on us and called us children of the King. And in his loving kindness, he chose the lowly and the weak. And his heart is good, he is always kind. With the cross he proved, he is on my side. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. Though we stumble, he will not let us fall. We are the Lord's, and he will never forsake his own. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. speak louder than the truth remind me I belong to you when I can't see past the dark of night remind me you're always by my side when the lies speak louder than the truth remind me i belong to you when i can't see past the dark of night remind me you're all 
by my side when the lies speak louder than the truth remind me i belong to you and when i can't see past the dark of night remind me you're always by my side you're by my side we are the sons we are the daughters of god no matter where we go we're close to the father's heart and though we stumble he will not let us fall we are the lord's never forsake his own we are the sons we are the daughters of God we are the sons we are the daughters of God no matter where we go we're close to the Father's heart and though we stumble he will not let us fall we are the Lord's and he will never forsake his own We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. In Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're always by our side. We thank you that we can trust you. And again, Lord, we thank you so much for helping us as a church family and for their families that you have allowed that message to be imparted to our graduating seniors today. Father God, as we continue on to our worship service this morning, I pray that you'll bless the heart of the pastor to bring your word, open our hearts and our ears to hear it, and just continue to bless this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. With social media, just about anyone can be an influencer with the right content, good timing, and a little bit of luck. Invent a new dance, share a funny take, catch the right moment on camera, and you could get millions of views. Some influencers mostly just use their platforms to get free stuff. But once in a while, you find someone who uses their platform to talk about things that actually matter. 
Obviously, they didn't have social media back in Jesus' day. But in the Bible, the book of Acts is filled with stories about influencers who had important things to say. In this series, we'll hear their stories, discover that our lives can pass on the good news, and learn how to pass on the good news to unexpected people, to our families, and with humility. All right, good morning, church family. We are going to jump into the book of Acts, chapter 16 today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, and then we are going to be jumping over to 2 Timothy. So find your way to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to walk through a little bit of that, uh, a couple verses there, <clears throat> as we learn um, our big idea for today. Now, we're in a series called Pass It On. It's a series of study on evangelism. Now, the idea is that we learn how to share the good news. Uh, the first week, we learned how our lives, our lives, this is the total framework for this series, is our lives can pass on the good news. Your life can and it should pass on the good news. And then the next weeks after that, including today, of course, is how our lives and who our lives pass the good news on to. So our lives can pass on the good news. You can pass on the good news to unexpected people. People that you would say, that person's never going to trust Jesus. I invite them to go to church all the time and they never go with me. And, uh, and, and so we try, to, we try to connect with people, unexpected people, unlikely people like Saul of Tarsus. Uh, that individual that you know from high school that you're going... Let me just give you a little bit of a, a framework for that. I'm one of those individuals from at least Bible college that people were like, man, that dude's never going to get anywhere. He is a hot mess. And yet, here we are. Right? Just kidding. And so, you, you can pass on the good news to unexpected people like me. I have watched people love Jesus for years, and I've wondered, man, how do they do it like that? And their lives passed it on to me. Today we're going to look at the big idea that you can pass on the good news to your family. That's right. You can pass on the good news to your family. It's in that understanding that we begin to uh, think about what it means to actually talk to our families. And so we did a little survey. We took kind of a sample size of those of the individuals that are, uh, those of you that received the text this week. About 83 people participated, which is a strong sample size uh, for our church family. And so we had 83 people participate and they answered some questions. On a scale of one to five, how easy is it for you to talk to your family members? And 40%, almost 40% of our sample size indicated that it was actually easy for them to talk to their family. That's pretty good. That means that there's a sliding scale with the other 60% that, that say, you know what, it just keeps getting harder. On a scale of 1 to 5, how well do you think your family listens and understands you? About 35% of the 83 indicated that it was about a 4 that it was about a four. So they seem easy to talk to, probably more surface level stuff, and now get to the point to where your family listens and understands you, and now we're starting to come off that five a little bit. On a scale of one to five, how well do you think 
You listen and understand your family members. Well, my family, only 35% would say my family gets me. But 52% say, oh, I get them. Oh, I understand that. That's what we would call in psychology as uh, you're drifting, you're making yourself look better than what you probably are. So they say, oh, no, I understand my family. I listen to them. 52% of the 83 said, oh, yeah. But they indicated actually a four. So it's not even the full on, like, oh, I, I'm all in. A little bit off of that. How many of your family members do you struggle to communicate with? None of them, some of them, or all of them. 65% indicate some of them. Some of them, I struggle to community. Did this resonate with any of you? I struggle with some of them to have a conversation, to communicate, to say difficult things. And finally, how likely is it that you would like to... Um, how likely is it that you would talk to your immediate family, that's those people that live in your house, about something important to you? About something important to you. Are you not likely? Very likely. Or it depends on the topic. About 64% indicated they are very likely to talk about um, important things to them to their immediate family. So the question comes, how important is the good news to you? How important is the good news to you? Because if the good news, if you live in a house uh, within an immediate family where you may even be the only believer there, how important is that good news to you that you want to live it out and share it with your immediate family? Our relationships with our family are supposed to be the strongest and most valuable relationships while here on earth. But sometimes they get under our skin, amen? Don't elbow anybody, just focus right here. Being the only believer in the home can be difficult. I did an email uh, interview with an individual that uh, would say that this person is the only believer in their home. And I asked, what is it like to be the only believer in your home? The individual said, knowing God in, my home, uh, knowing God in a home that does not has been hard. It definitely does not come easy. I've had to guard my heart from those I love most. Did you hear that? This is a direct quote. Their actions usually do not lead me to love Christ more. For a while, living with my family led my relationship with God to be limited and cut short. It is mostly hard to have patience because it hurts when my family says something offensive or makes jokes. But God has been such a comfort to me in these times of trouble. This is somebody working out their faith around people that just aren't getting it. The more situations that stretch my weakness, the closer I am to abiding in God's strength. So through that, the Lord has grown my patience greatly. God has shown me to serve my family above all else. Love without expecting love in return. This is what this individual is saying. Our families might be some of the most challenging people to love or even communicate with. But telling your family about Jesus is, is the most important thing that you can do. And you tell them with your life. Maybe everybody within your four walls, they know Jesus or they trust Jesus or they're, they're, they're learning some things about Jesus. But you're, even your extended family, those people outside of your home, who are you influencing? Because if you say you're a follower of Jesus, 
It's, it's, it's our responsibility. It's a command of the Lord to share that good news with other people. Now, we're going to walk through a little bit of Acts chapter 16, but I'm going to need to set it up from the end of Acts 15. So just kind of just go with me on this. And we're going to see how the Lord works in all situations. Would you agree? We, he works in all situations. He works in situations where you make a plan and then he changes your plan. Anybody ever have that? And then you got mad at God and you reminded me of him while your plan was better than his plan. Now, you don't say that, but you remind God on how you laid it all out. And so when we begin to think about this, we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul was uh, beginning his second missionary journey and how his plans changed. And we're going to see some stuff maybe you've never seen before, but we're going to see how the Holy Spirit works with Paul to accomplish the goal of what God has already laid out. Now, we're going to be going to um, Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15 here in just a moment. But as we get going here, I want you to know what's going on with Paul. Paul and Barnabas have just separated. So there's got, there's got to be some emotions. There's got to be some stuff going on. They, got, they, got, they kind of got in a really big fight. Um, they, they, did, they didn't agree on taking John Mark with them because John Mark abandoned them at, at, at a, at a specific area of ministry. And Paul said, I'm not taking him with me. And Barnabas said, well, I want him. And they said, fine, then we're going to have to do this separately. And they went their separate ways. So we come into verse six, uh, or chapter 16, and we're actually going to start in verse 6 here. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word. Have you ever caught that before? That Paul is traveling through a certain way and he's going a certain direction because the Holy Spirit prevented him from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. It wasn't time. It wasn't the plan. Then coming to the borders of Mysia or Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Strange, isn't it? Don't you want everybody to know about Jesus? Why would you prevent someone from going somewhere? So instead, they went through Mysia or Mysia, however you want to pronounce it there, to the seaport of Troas. So they're on the coast there of the Aegean, Aegean Sea, uh, part of the Mediterranean. It's kind of like a little shoot up there, and the, the port of Troas is on that, on that area. And Paul's in an interesting place here. He's not really sure what his next step is going to be. He's trying to process, where should I be? Where should I go? And uh, he's not really sure because he's tried to actually preach the word of God. He had to preach the message, the good news, but then he's being prevented in doing this. You're going, what in the world? Well, how was he prevented? Well, one way we can look at this, well, for sure we don't know exactly. It doesn't say directly, 
But we can surmise from Galatians chapter 4 that when he, was, when he was there, that he actually spoke about an illness that he had, and he actually said that uh, to the Galatians that I, we, that I know you care about me. You would have even plucked out your own eyes for me. Could have been an eye infection that Paul had. And leading into this, into uh, Acts 16, and I'm going to read verse 10 here in just a moment, we see that Luke, Luke's, Luke's uh, career, or he was a physician, he was a doctor. So then at some point in time, a doctor joins in with the journey during the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. So maybe, just maybe, Paul needed somebody to come alongside him, so the Lord provided Luke a doctor to kind of walk with him and take care of him. Now, how was he prevented? Could have been an illness. We don't know for sure, but we can kind of guesstimate a little bit that piecing uh, the letters together. Why was he prevented? Well, it's possible that, uh, that the Lord did not want him to go there because uh, maybe Peter uh, was already doing some work there. It's possible that he was already doing some work there. Uh, if you actually get into the uh, book of uh, 1 Peter, I think it is, that you can actually see that he was talking, he was, he was addressing the area in which Paul was going to go, and the Lord decided to send him in a different direction. As you read God's word, you can begin to see how these things piece together, because even now you may say, how do you get that from this? Well, you got to read, you got to read the scripture, you got to read the text, you got to, and sometimes you can piece things together, and you can go through some commentaries and just pray through, Lord, what are you showing me in this passage? So we see we have Paul here, and he's in, he's on the port side of Troas, and he begins to, and he has a vision. God is about to say to him, hey, here's where I want you to go. But it was a moment of uncertainty. Have you ever had a moment of uncertainty? I want to know where my next step is, but I'm not exactly sure where my next step is. Sometimes you just need to sit down and be quiet. Just sit down and be still. You don't have to always like jump in. You don't always have to do. You don't always have to feel like you're in control. Just be still. Pray over it. I'm confident that, the, that, that Paul had ongoing conversations with the Lord. What would you have me do? What would you have me do? Why aren't you talking to me? Now, I don't know that for sure, but I would imagine Paul being the dynamic guy that he is, he wants to know. I can't just sit here. My life is wasting away. Tell me, where am I supposed to go? Well, he has a moment here in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to go into verse 9. Here's our uh, one of two primary texts that we're going to talk about today. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided, okay, so Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And here we're now seeing that there's this joint effort. This is the first time in Acts where Luke actually says, we. This is where we get the idea that Luke, the doctor, joined forces with Paul. So as they move forward now, they're actually doing ministry together. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Once again, in verse 11, he says, we, Luke's now joined the team. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi and a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. A Roman colony is basically what they wanted to do was they wanted to provide Rome away from Rome. 
This idea that the, 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 the spectacles, the, the, the ideologies, uh, Rome, not, not necessarily being full-fledged Rome, but it's like Rome away from Rome. And so they really prided themselves on this concept uh, when they were, when they were uh, this, this area where they're going to be preaching. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. So there's people by this riverbank where we thought people would be uh, meeting for prayer. Why would you think that, Luke? I'm curious. Why would you go by the river? Because in, a, in, a, in, in the Jewish law, you would go to the synagogue. Well, if you understand the, the ancient law, basically, if you, it, you have to have 10 Jewish men in your town before you were allowed to build a synagogue. And if you did not have at least 10, just 10 Jewish men, then you did not build a synagogue. And so it appears that they did not have 10 Jewish men in this area. So they would go somewhere else because it was significant. Here's why. In the synagogue, there would be... I'm going to be use very general terms. So if you know these terms better than me, uh, write me a note later. Let's call it a big bowl of water, and it would, there would be water that would flow. It wouldn't be stagnant water. It would be considered living water. Sound familiar? And so this water would be moving. They would wash up so they could be ceremonially clean. We've used that phraseology before, so that they would actually wash up, believed that they could wash away this junk that they've done, and then they could go and worship and provide sacrifices to the Lord and things like that. Well, they, had to, they knew that if people were going to be here praying and trusting God, there had to be a source of living water. Otherwise, um, then they weren't doing it right. So they went by the riverbank where the water was moving, right? We have living water, not just stagnant water, but moving water. So as they would wash up, it would wash everything away in a ceremonial sort of a way. That's what the law had had decided was, was going to be how they were going to behave. So when they go by this riverbank, they're expecting there to be some people, but it's possible that Paul, being that there was a vision of a man that says, hey, come on over to Macedonia and help us out. Maybe he was looking for a man. We don't know. But he doesn't find a man there. He finds a group of women by the riverbank, and they're going through their ceremonies. Give you a little understanding on that. So they're at the riverbanks where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Verse 14, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of, expect, of expensive purple cloth. And I'm going to explain some of these things in just a minute after I finish reading. Who worshiped God. So she was a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. What can we gather from this woman, Lydia? Well, we know that she was a businesswoman, not a local from Asia Minor, that she, would, that she actually was um, from Thyatira. They had access to a unique purple dye. They were known very well for their purple cloth. In some um, ancient texts that outside of Scripture, it, they speak of Thyatira and their well-known establishment of this purple cloth. So it was very well established. It's not just 
hypothetically, but she came from a place where she would sell this. Now, what's so important about this purple cloth? Here's what we understand. Uh, the, the people that would buy purple cloth would be more royalty. That's why the representation of the purple cloth on Jesus, you know, especially around uh, Easter time when we put that on the cross, it's a, it's, it's a sign of royalty. Uh, very expensive cloth. So we know that she did that for, for a good period of time, and she was probably good at it. And here's why I think she was really good at it. Look at her sales technique, okay? If you know a salesman, I have salesmen in my family, and I know them well. Uh, look at what she's doing here. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. Hey, if you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. The indication is if you don't come and stay with us, you don't believe I'm a real believer. So you've got to come and be with us. Otherwise, you're saying that maybe I'm not for real. And she urged us until we agreed. You ever have somebody in your life that urges you until you agree? This is what's going on here. She's trying to sell it. Hey, you need to come and you need to be here with me and I'm going to follow the Lord and I need to learn from you and I, we want you to be our guests. So we know that she was probably really good at it. Now, when Paul arrived in her city, Lydia already loved God, but she didn't know the good news about Jesus yet. Here we have another story of somebody that knows God, that, that, that's, that's following God, but doesn't really know the good news of Jesus yet. Now we're going to jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So you can turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Here we have a story where Lydia was honoring God. She began to follow Jesus with her life and she went home and shared it with him. Listen, this is what you need to do. This is the good news. And, and the whole household, this is a dynamic woman here. Uh, ladies and men alike, do not be afraid. Uh, to share boldly your faith. Don't be afraid. Don't be ignorant about it. Don't try to hurt people in the process of loving them. That makes no sense. Uh, share with them. Be bold and courageous and, and, and help them understand the significance of what the good news actually is. Lydia did that and her whole house was baptized. Now we go on to 2 Timothy chapter 1, where we read a little bit of it here, where Paul is talking. Um, this is an interesting letter that Paul writes. He's actually writing it from, a, a, from prison, uh, where he's about to die. So you can understand for a minute some feelings going on inside of him. But when you're following Jesus like the Apostle Paul, you're not focused on you. You're focusing on one last opportunity to encourage, to support, to show, to be, to like, no, the good news. I'm going to share the good news until my very last breath. That's who the Apostle Paul was. That's who we are to be, to share Jesus to the very end. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be in areas of professional ministry till the day that I die, but I am going to be a follower of Jesus until the day that I die. And so that responsibility is with me no matter what I'm doing, where I'm working, or where I'm serving. And so to the very last moment, so Paul's writing and he's in his last days, he's in a prison, and it's just a terrible place. I can't get into what the experience was like, 
but it was just, it, it was a hole in the ground with very little venting, and he was in there for a long time. Food would be sent down to him, and there was, there was no side quarters for restrooms. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was sitting there in his own stuff, and he's just being tormented through this whole thing. And he's writing a letter. How this works, I don't know. I mean, you're writing a letter. Who's he talking to? How's he getting it out? But here's what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This also indicates how our family passes on our faith. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Now, he's not talking about physically on earth. He knows that he's about to die. So we're talking about the promise of heaven to come. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. From the front, see, see, Timothy was mentored by the Apostle Paul, but Timothy's faith did not start with the Apostle Paul. Do you understand that? It started a couple generations prior. You might think right now, listen, I'm the only one in my family that actually follows Jesus. Then you're the beginning of a brand new line of individuals. You're reframing your name. Where when people say your last name, they associate it with, uh, they associate it with the Lord, they associate it with the fruits of the Spirit, they associate it with something different than just trouble. And so when you think about this idea that, wow, I could influence my future great-grandchildren, yes, but you have to make decisions now. And you're going to influence somebody now that's going to influence somebody later that will influence them one day. You're going to influence people now you may never meet. And you will influence them through your faithfulness, your care, your generosity, your love. Now, at first glance, these stories are easy to miss because they're mentioned so briefly. You just kind of go by them rather quickly. But behind these brief comments are stories of people who are committed to passing on the good news. Are you, I have to ask you, church, are you really committed to, I'm not talking about forcing, I'm talking about committed to sharing the good news? Well, here's how you know. We're going to talk about, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here, it brings up the word ambassador. And I want you to understand what this means before we say it. An ambassador is someone who speaks on someone else's behalf. So if you're going to be the ambassador of somebody, you're actually speaking for them. Do you understand the weight of that? When you make medical decisions for somebody that can't make medical decisions for themselves, you're speaking on their behalf. And so you're saying what you think they would want. You're saying what they have conveyed to you. So you're speaking for them. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we go into this passage, and all of this uh, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, was Christ, right? Reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message 
of reconciliation, the good news. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When you speak to your family about the good news, you're actually speaking on behalf, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Makes you want to choose your words pretty wise, doesn't it? Because if you say you follow Jesus, then they're waiting to hear what you have to say on his behalf. That's a game changer. It's not just your own selfish agenda. It's not my own selfish agenda, but rather I want to speak life and truth into people. I want them to know the good news. Now, I'm going to tell you, you can do everything right, but how they respond to Jesus is up to them. Did you know in scripture there was a perfect father? He lived in a place known as the Garden of Eden. He would hang out with his children. Perfect union. And yet his children rebelled. Consider for a moment the choices that we have. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what, the individual has the choice to follow or not follow. So just keep praying. Your faithfulness and consistency to loving God can earn you influence and credibility to share Jesus. But you have to be faithful. You have to be consistent. Why would anybody want your casual faith? Why would anybody say, well, well, this is my rescuer, but you don't act like it's your rescuer. You're kind of in, you're kind of out. I can do that. I'm no different than you, and I can keep my money on Sunday morning. I'm no different. So when we're faithful and we're consistent, people begin to see, man, I don't understand. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And you have opportunities to talk through why you do what you do. But if you're not faithful and consistent, I guarantee you this, you will lose influence and credibility of every kind. Because they will see your actions, they will see you being excited about it, and then gone. Excited about it, then gone. Uh, Why in the world would anybody want to jump on that crazy train? You're either in or you're not. As I continued my email interview, I asked the question, what has Jesus changed at your home since you decided to follow him? I have seen my home change deeply since I have decided to follow Christ. I have seen God planting seeds in my family from many times of being called out to proclaim what I believe is true that formed curiosity within my family. I have seen the Lord equip me with knowledge to answer the exact questions they ask. Before I knew Christ, the name of Jesus was never mentioned in my home. Since then, some of my family has asked to be a part of the church with me, gather with me at different times. Through consistent patience, my family, uh, with my family, to an extent now respects my relationship with God. Because of this person's faithfulness and consistency, the family's beginning to at least respect where she's going with this. They also understand my priorities of actually being the church. After much time, I gave God the worries of my family and trust that he is working on their hearts like he did mine. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey. 
you have a significant role to play and God is equipping you. Our simple big idea for today is that you can pass on the good news to your family. You can pass on the good news to your family. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and in your purity. Now, of course, this text is specifically talking about your age. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young in years. But this could also be applied to somebody who is young in their faith. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young in your faith. Be an example. So don't let people pressure you, put you down. But you have a responsibility. Be an example to all believers. To all believers in what you say and the way you live so that when your church family looks at you and sees you, we're not looking for perfection. We're not looking for you to... This is where it gets weird, right? We're like, in church culture, we try to put on a thing. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about putting on a mask so you look a certain way. You look like a Christian. We're talking about seeking the heart of Jesus so so that you truly love, that you truly live with faith, and that you truly live with purity. And so if somebody comes to you trying to force their preferences on you, have a conversation. Talk with them. Be an example on how you're going to live, on how you're going to be. Now, here's our next steps. Wrapping up today, this week, what's one way you're going to pass on the good news to your family with your actions and your words? How are you going to do it? How are you going to serve? How are you going to love? How are you going to show purity? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share this good news. Please give us insight today, even right now, that we would know how we're going to influence our family, how we're going to influence those around us by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way that we have faith, and by the way we have purity. God, strengthen us. Give us great insight even now that we would know our next step. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, stand with me. Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Thank you for celebrating our graduates today. Can we hear for our graduates one more time? Awesome, yeah. What a privilege it is to worship together as a church family. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Now say it with me. Go and be the church.